Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Coach Harris, they don't talk. Is that something you just ignore? Yeah, yeah, yeah you ignore because one week you're getting fired, and the next week you're going to take another job, and I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And So, yes, to answer your question. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got up the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. And as my, as the head football coach at South Carolina, my job is to do what I feel is best for the University of South Carolina football program today and going forward in the future. And that's what I did. We wish him well and uh, have nothing but uh, 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 we, we wish him well. Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. Flying solo again, Cousin Shane, still trying to break away from the job. He's saying he will be on the next one. I know I said that last time, but in Cousin Shane's defense, he told me Wednesday he would be good to go recording this on a Tuesday. So don't throw Cousin Shane under the bus. Do let him know how much you miss him on the social medias, though. I think he always gets a kick out of that. That always gives him some inspiration to show up, but... uh, Hey, just had a couple news items around the league, not a ton. And then I was mocking list season on the last episode. I think I've got a pretty fun little list here. Something that uh, popped in my head pretty much after Ty Simpson committed to Alabama. Because I'm sitting here saying to myself, you know, how much longer can Nick Saban out-recruit the entire SEC? He's gotten basically at least one, if not two, Coaches fired at every SEC program. You know he's going to get, before he hangs them up, whenever that is, I'm done saying the GOAT is going to retire anytime soon. Hell, he may be coaching for another 10 years. We may be sitting here looking back and saying he did it again. He got the entire SEC fired once again. So I'm going to rank the coaches, active SEC coaches, that I think are the most likely to outlast Nick Saban at their current school. But before we get to that, a couple quick hitters around the SEC. So let's just jump right into it. Let's go around the league. Now let's go around the league. My daughters said something about 
me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think, I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why, why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us and we'll play them. Right, we'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey guys, hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. All right, so I want to start here in Athens. Old Kirby Smart met with the media here on Tuesday. Georgia officially going to start spring practice March 16th. That's going to give Georgia two weeks to prepare for spring. And if you're not aware, they are able to kind of run through, not practices with the players, but obviously they're in the weight room and all that, but walkthroughs and implementing new schemes on offense and defense, they are able to do that. And, you know, it's kind of like I've been saying, big reason why Georgia, my pick in the East, my pick to win the SEC as we enter spring in the SEC, they're just returning so much on that offensive side of the ball. JT Daniels, George Pickens, Zamir White, James Cook. I mean, run down the list. I know they lost some offensive linemen, but, you know, the, the guys they got stepping up, very impressive Athletes, Matt Luke coaching up that unit, not to mention, you know, the receivers they got coming back, even D-Rob when he's not breaking the parking locks off his car here. He is training for Georgia football, so he's back for another year. Darnell Washington's probably going to have a huge sophomore season. Could go on and on. Jermaine Burton really started to come on once JT Daniels got put into the lineup there in November of last season. But it's interesting because – been saying it time and time again, offense is what drives college football these days. And it sounds like even in Athens right now, Georgia had a little bit of a disappointing season on the defensive side of the ball last year. Got to get that fixed this year, but it looks like the Bulldogs are going to be led by their offense. And that is something that Kirby Smart hit on during his Tuesday press conference. Just the fact that it's the second year of the Todd Bunkin system. This is really going to be the first spring that Georgia's going to have with Todd Munkin because of all the issues they had last year. So let's kick it over to Kirby real quick, talking about that offense going into year two under Todd Munkin. For for a guy like JT, having not gone through the spring last year, how much more beneficial will this be? And really from an entire offensive standpoint, you know, year two of Munkin without getting the the spring ball last year. Yeah, we, we can see the effects of that even right now in our, uh, in our ability to have uh, walkthroughs and things that the NCAA allows us to do right now. It's just the pace with which they're able to uh, do things, install things. You can imagine, you know, last year at this time, it was a whirlwind in terms of trying to figure out, okay, Munkin's here. Okay. We've got this guy here, this guy here trying to install different things. It was just the, the pace with which we're doing walkthroughs and being able to do things offensively has been uh, uh, much better. Um, if anything, you know, it's we're, we're trying to adjust more on defense now uh, to what they're doing because they're a little bit ahead of us where we were a little bit ahead of them uh, last year. Um, so that's good. And NJT obviously getting a spring to go through this. I mean, at this time last year, I don't, even, I don't even have a clue 
uh, what he was doing. You know, was he rehabbing from a knee? You know, he's come a long way in terms of uh, the volume of information he's gotten and the other quarterbacks as well. I mean, you got to figure Carson Beckett just got here at this point last year and Brock's out there and Stetson's out there. So all those guys are, are, are learning. Think back about a year ago. There's no way in hell you'd say Georgia's offense ahead of the defense at any point during the offseason, but that's where we're at. Now, maybe that's a combination of high hopes for the offense, and we'll get to this in just a moment here, but Kirby Smart talking about some depth issues potentially on the defensive side of the ball, not particularly happy with uh, the mix of experience and depth they have in the defensive backfield in Athens right now, but I think if you're Georgia, you got, that's got to be music to your ears because we just saw Clemson. I don't think their defense was that good. They were in the college football playoff. Ohio State's defense, from what I know, was not very good. Alabama, you know, they had their moments. None of these teams, I'm saying, are, are, had horrible defenses, but, you know, they just had kind of bend but don't break. And you know Georgia, worst-case scenario, that's what you're going to be getting there. And if the offense lives up to the hype, comes around, JT Daniels, full year and a half, what have you, to gain strength in that knee. All the pieces are in place there for Georgia to have a magical season outside of one aspect here, and that's something that Kirby also went into during his Tuesday presser. Defensive backs, particularly the cornerback position, got a lot of talent in Athens, but a little bit concerned with the lack of experience and the way the game's going. Alabama's throwing it all over the damn yard. LSU is going to do the same. Florida, if they have some receivers develop and Emory Jones can get it done in the passing game, they're going to be doing it. Georgia plays Clemson next year. We know they have a tradition of just being loaded at the receiver position. I know they got a new starting quarterback, but he looks like the real deal. So they're going to be tested right out the gate. Could Georgia be adding anybody during via the transfer portal? That's something to consider. And at multiple points during his presser here, he was asked about the defensive backs and the cornerback depth, and he did not shy away from the fact that it's not exactly where he wants it to be at this point. Kirby, as you uh, develop the players that, that you have this winter, I'm curious, kind of what, what's your approach with, with the transfer portal as it relates to, to cornerback, which would seem to be a big need for you guys? I mean, the transfer portal hasn't changed for us. It's not, I mean, it's not the primary uh, source of uh, finding football players. I mean, we want to uh, recruit, uh, develop, um, and work to get the best football players we possibly can in here. I, I don't think the guys that come out of the portal have issues or problems. That's not just not our, our normal uh, protocol. It's not what we want to build our program based around. Um, it's a need-based deal, and we have needs. Defensive back is a, is a spot that we're thin at. We think we have – a very capable, good young players at the position. We don't have a lot of experience. So if you get an opportunity to gain experience, which, you know, we did the first year we were here, we got most myth, and all of a sudden you got a player that that, that makes your team better um, almost immediately. So we would not decline the ability to look at an option there, but I don't really know what you mean when you say that because it's like philosophically, what are you looking for? Well, I mean, I want to coach the players we got because that's the one thing I know that I can impact. I don't control the portal. I have no control over who goes in and who's in. So I'm focused on the players that we have getting them better. 
Hey, Kirby, you've talked about cornerback being a position of development before and with young guys like Keely Ringo, Jalen Kimber, and Nylon Green sort of going through this the first time. How, where are they in their development, especially knowing that they're going to push for playing time at that cornerback position? Yeah, the cornerback position is really completely open. So to name two guys is, is probably not the smart. I mean, we got a lot of guys that are going to be working at cornerback. Every guy on our team is a potential quarterback and cornerback right now because we're in search of finding guys that can play that position at a high level in a really tough – and you look across the SEC, the ability to throw the ball has gotten better and better and better, and those guys – um, get exposed. You know, we're one of the we're one of the conferences that plays more man to man probably than anybody else. So you got to have guys out there that can function. So that that position is you know up for grabs. There are no guys that are proven returning starters, um, and every guy is working hard to learn the techniques and the details that it takes to play winning football at that position. Kirby, I know Dash asked you earlier about a couple of receivers on the men. With those two on top of, I guess, you've had four enter the transfer portal. Do you have enough receivers this spring to do the good on good that you'd like to get done? And if that's not a concern area, or is there a concern area that you may not have enough bodies to do the good on good that you want? No, we're, we're, receivers is not my, my, my concern in terms of practice ha uh, reps and things. We've, we've got – we're over our number of uh, guys that you would have for what we call quota to have the kind of practices we have. DB is the concern there with uh, the guys we've had leave, the guys that came out early, um, and then, you know, guys coming in. We, we've got two receivers that came in mid-year, so that's really helped our numbers there. We've also got some guys we signed last year we think are good football players. We've got a, we've got a good group there. Um, so the, the defensive back – would be the limiting of the two spot, if anything, from a standpoint of numbers, especially when you consider dime is six DB. So to go two spot, you got to have more than 12 to have backups, you know, at wide out, you're going to have three or four on the field at the most. So we feel comfortable with the wide out depth we have. All right. So there you have it from Kirby. And again, this is not to say that Georgia is lacking players. I mean, that's kind of what Kirby was hitting out there. He'd rather, you know, the preferred choice in Athens would be, develop the guys we got talking guys like Kaylee Ringo, Jalen Kimber, major Burns. They just signed Nylon green. George has got some potential studs back there, but it's all about having them ready immediately out the gate. Is that going to be something that uh, just coaching staff can do? Kirby smart, Dan, Dan Lanning. I got a ton of uh, faith in them to, to get that done, but we also got a new secondary coach, the guy from West Virginia, you know, I'm not saying that he's a bad coach. Hell, they had the number one pass defense in the country last year at West Virginia. So he certainly seems like a quality coach, but you're losing a little bit of continuity there. Hopefully they get that ironed out in the spring. But that's got to be – that's got to be – I don't even want to call it a weakness considering all that talent they got there, but that's going to be the one thing that they've got to get shored up here, and that's probably something I think Kirby was hitting at there. We're going to work on it during the spring. If it doesn't – if we aren't satisfied with what we've got at the end of the day, look for Georgia to hit that transfer portal. So if they add someone in the offseason, maybe that tells you a little bit about the coaching staff and how they feel about their defensive backs. If they don't, fans might have some hesitation. Why in the hell are we not adding defensive back with, via the transfer portal? If they don't, I think that tells you they're very pleased with what they saw exiting the spring from those defensive backs that may lack experience, but certainly don't lack for talent. One final thought on Georgia before I move on. Interesting stat here. 
from Dave Bar 2, Mr. CFB Matrix. If you're not following Dave already and uh, the analytics that he does, you're missing out. He's a must-follow. But uh, here on Tuesday, tweeted out, interesting stat here relating to Georgia football. According to Dave Bar 2, Georgia is the top-ranked recruiter in this century college football. So dating back to the year 2000, obviously, numbers 2 through 15 on that list have all won national championships. And I know Georgia fans don't want to hear that. Tired of hearing about the 41-year streak, the never-ending streak. Feels like 1980. We've all heard the 1980 jokes time and time and time again. And they're going to keep getting made until Georgia wins a national championship. I'm calling it now. The streak ends this season. Georgia's going to win the SEC. They're going to win the college football playoff. Oh, dog, sick him. I think this is going to be the last year that Georgia fans have to hear stats like this one from Dave Bar 2. I think the Bulldogs are going to be the next national champion. All right, last thing to jump to real quick here. Let's uh, kick it on down to Rocky Top. Josh Heupel's completed his staff here at Tennessee with the hire of special teams coordinator and outside linebackers coach Mike Elkler. Previously from uh, North Texas, he was the special teams coordinator there. He held the same job title at Kansas under Les Miles before North Texas. And this is a guy that's coached under Ed Orgeron and Les Miles at LSU. He's been at uh, Georgia under, believe it or not, Jeremy Pruitt. Apparently, this is a coach where he and Jeremy Pruitt uh, got into little fisticuffs down there in Athens. So, Tennessee fans got to like that. He played for Bill Snyder at Kansas State. It just seems like one of these guys that's, uh, he's been all over college football, but he's been at a lot of premier schools. So, I think that speaks to his ability to coach and recruit at a high level. And once again, Tennessee's got uh, a ton of experience on that defensive side of the ball in the SEC outside of the coordinator, Tim Banks, surrounded that guy with a you know just a lot of coaches that know what the hell they're doing in the SEC. So looks like a strong hire, but don't take my word for it. Will Compton, former Nebraska Cornhusker. Uh, Eckler was formerly at Nebraska under Bo Pelini. He was the linebackers coach down there and coached up Will Compton, who's now with the Tennessee Titans. He's praising this guy all over social media once he heard the news. And then check this out. Uh, I'm not sure when this was recorded, but this was uh, put out recently by Hale Varsity Radio, Two Minute Drill. Eckler talking about his recruitment of Will Compton. My man got a tattoo to seal the deal to sign Compton at Nebraska. Check it out. He was committed to Coach Callahan. So Bo goes to Bonterre, Missouri with Coach Osborne. And they go see Coach Osborne first day. And Bo calls me up and he goes, hey, Eck. He goes, I don't care if we sign one guy in this class. He goes, we're building our defense around Will Compton. I love that dude. And I'm going, yeah, that's easy. You know, I mean, the guy's already been committed. So the next week I go see him. And I go there and have a great time, great visit with him in the, in the school. And we're walking out of school. And Will goes, 
Hey, uh, Coach Ack, man, I really appreciate you coming. He goes, I just got to gotta be honest with you. I'm not coming to Nebraska. I just haven't decommitted yet. Mm. So I went to the um, Southern Cal game, and, and it is, that was ridiculous, man. He goes, I, I'm not coming. I'm not playing there. So I'm either going to Missouri or, or going with Coach Zook over at Illinois. And and I get in my car, <laughs> and my phone rings, and it was Bo. And he goes, hey, Eck, how'd it go? And I, I thought to myself, hmm, you know, we all know Bo. He's kind of reserved, you know, so uh-huh. doesn't. Doesn't doesn't get angry very easily. No, not at all. I said, no, I said, hey, Bo, it went great. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to you had to re, you had to re-recruit him all over again. How'd how'd you get Will oh, back? Yeah. How'd you get Will back? Oh yeah, I think it was a tattoo. I think that pushed him over the edge. Well, <laughs> folks folks may have heard of it. So did you fake? Ta- I I know the story, but my audience may or may not remember. What did you do? Is yeah. it your right or left bicep? Uh, it was our, my right bicep before we got. Um, we, we had one last chance on a Sunday. We went and flew the entire defensive staff over to Bonterre, Missouri. And before we left Lincoln, I went to a tattoo parlor and got a um, two-week temporary tattoo with skull and crossbones on it and Compton and Old English below it. And we're going. We were there for probably four hours at the house. And I invited his best friend over and his girlfriend. I mean, we had a, we had a blast. Mm. And before we're leaving, I said, hey, Will, I said, I got a little something here to remind me for the rest of my life, every time I look in the mirror, if you don't come to the University of Nebraska, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. And I pulled, I pulled up my shirt, and his dad is just a classic. His dad gets out of his lazy he goes, boy, that's a tattoo. I'm getting right there. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest, uh, as they say, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, yeah, so two days later, I'm walking through the airport in Omaha, and my phone rings, and it's Will. And it was the day he was going to make his decision. Mm. And he goes, man, he goes, Coach Eck, man, I freaking, you know, I love you, man. And um, you, I appreciate you recruiting me. And, you know, you guys just getting here and, and busting it hard. And he goes, but, you know, I just, I want to let you know I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Illinois. And, and I'm standing there, and I said, I said well, um, Man, well, that, that just that kills me, man. He goes, hey, he goes, I'm messing with you. I'm coming to Nebraska. <laughs> hey, that's better than giving away McDonald's bags or whatever the hell they're being accused of down there in uh, Rocky Top at the moment. Getting tattoos. I did share that on Tuesday, and uh, one of the listeners, I thought it was hilarious. They tweeted out uh, this guy with about 50 tattoos all over his body said, this is uh, how that guy's going to recruit to Tennessee in the years to come. But, hey, you use what you have to. You get it done. Recruiting's a cutthroat business in the SEC recruiting. So, appreciate at least uh, the creativity here from Tennessee's new assistant coach. And he got the Will Compton to sign on the dotted line. So, hey, it worked. And last thing here, Big Cat Bryant, a little over a month ago, announced transferring from Auburn to Tennessee Kind of assumed that was not going to be happening once uh, Tennessee fired Jeremy Pruitt, Shelton Felton, and Kevin Steele no longer a coach on the uh, Jerem- on uh, Josh Heupel's staff. Big Cat is announced, believe it or not, shocker, another Auburn guy headed to UCF following Gus Malzahn. Hell, UCF is uh, the new Auburn down there. They're getting about every every damn person. Gus Malzahn's probably hired about a dozen people from Auburn this offseason. So, Big Cat Brian official not going to Tennessee. He's headed to UCF. 
And that's probably the last we'll ever hear from him. So I came up with a fun idea. I know I was making fun of list season, but hell, it is March. Got to come up with some kind of list here. And here's the one I came up with. Because Nick Saban, he's got a coach fired at every school in the SEC during his time. I mean, if you think about it. He's got a couple Auburn coaches fired. He's gotten several Tennessee coaches fired. I mean, the guy's gotten a coach from every damn program basically fired. Urban Meyer had a heart attack. We all know the story. Mark Rick. I mean, I can go on and on. He's outlasted them all. So I thought to myself, I'm trying to give the rest of the SEC some hope here. My man is 69. We all know he's going to turn 70 during the next football season. So which, hell, he'll probably outlast all these bastards too. But which coaches, I ranked them, most likely to outlast Nick Saban at their current school. And because Shane's not on, I'm going dead last. I'm going to go in order from least likely to most likely. Dead last, Josh Heupel, Tennessee. Now, I'm probably going to catch some shit for saying that, but we all know Tennessee in a very precarious spot here. The roster has been devastated. Sanctions likely coming. I've been trying to tout up Josh Heupel. Probably people think I've turned on him already, but I think he could be a very good coach. But I also think that I also know that Tennessee fans, they'll turn on you quick, brother. <laughs> Josh Heupel's not going to have a ton of time. He should he should be given more time than they've given some of these other guys. But, hell, we just ran out Pruitt three years, right? Dooley, three years. Of course, Lane Kiffin left, but that was one year. Butch, what'd he get? I think he got fired his fifth year. But, hey, you ain't got long on Knoxville. So, because of the sanctions and all that, that's why I've got Josh Heupel dead last behind number 12, Shane Beamer. Still not quite sold on this Shane Beamer hire and the staff he's put around him. But unlike Josh Heupel, he doesn't have any sanctions holding over his head. You know, it certainly seems like he's got everybody and their mother supporting him there in Columbia. So I think he's got a long leash. I'm not saying, hell, I don't think any of these guys are on a short leash, to be honest with you. But had to pick someone here, and you know, if there's one coach I'm thinking in the SEC where I think come down the line in a couple of years, you know, if there's if there's one Chad Morris type, basically is what I'm trying to say, someone that's just not ready for this type of uh, meat grinder of the SEC, I think I gotta go Shane Beamer, number twelve. Now here, this is why a, a list like this is interesting because there's so many different factors at play. Number eleven, Sam Pittman. We've already had Coach Pittman come out and say, hell, this is going to be my last job. And I've said on the show before, if he was Georgia's offensive line coach, he's probably retired already. Now he's gotten new life because he's Arkansas head coach. He's getting them back on their feet. Certainly don't think Sam Pittman will ever be run off at Arkansas, but how much time has he got left? I don't know. And I know Nick Saban's pretty old, but that man, I don't think age, I think he reverse ages where – You know, a lot of pressure on these SEC head coaches. So I think Sam Pittman may be, you know, the next three or four or five years. I think he could be retiring. And it could be even sooner. I've mentioned this before. What if, you know, a guy like Barry Odom gets offered a job? Or Kendall Bryles potentially, but really Barry Odom is who I'm thinking of. Maybe he gets offered a job. I'm trying to think of one that is uh, about equal. You know, like Auburn or something. 
I know they just hired a coach, but I'm just throwing it out as an example. Let's say he gets offered a job like that in a year or two. Does Arkansas turn around and say, Sam, how much longer you really got? Because we got this guy and we can just promote him and have ourselves a hell of a coach. So that that's kind of the ultimate wild card for me when I'm thinking about Sam Pittman and how long he's going to be there is what's it going to take to keep one of his assistants on staff to potentially be a head coach. Cause I think both his coordinators could be head coaches before very long. All right. Number 10, I hate to do it to this guy too. He's probably my favorite sec coach. Coach O Ed Orgeron just won a national championship just two years ago, but we all know that's a blessing and a curse because the expectations sky high last season on the field was a disaster until the last two games that's really, really kind of gotten people off Coach O's back. But imagine if he had lost those two games, what everybody would be saying. I mean, he beat on the damn hot seat already. I promise you, he would be. And then you compound that by all this uh, investigation stuff. And I have no idea if he's has any role in it whatsoever. So I'm not trying to throw him under the bus. But he's got a lot of factors here where who knows what's going to come of all that. That's supposed to be kind of coming to a head here in the next couple of weeks. But, you know, that if there's something bad there, that's just going to be more ammunition they use against him, whoever it is that may want to run him off. And certainly not saying this offseason, but down here's how it works. If they are bad on the field, they'll use it as ammunition. If they're really good this year, which I certainly think LSU's got the potential to bounce back and possibly win the SEC West, they'll act like it fucking never happened. I mean, that's how this stuff works. But – that's what I'm saying. They've got ammunition against him. We just so he hired Bo Pelini. My God, that was terrible. If he made another coordinator hire that bad, and again, not saying he did, but we won't know till it plays out on the field. I mean, that would just be another terrible sign that maybe uh, you know, maybe it was a little Joe Brady, Joe Burrow magic. Steve Ensminger, now that he's gone, maybe he's maybe he really was. Imagine if they hired these Joe Brady offensive guys and it was really Steve Ensminger. That was the mastermind. I mean, I hope not for Coach O. All those factors. That's why I put in Coach O number 10. Number nine, Dan Mullen. We've already heard the NFL rumors. Seemed like every damn year he was at Mississippi State, he was trying to get another job. So all those factors. And then the fact that Florida ended so poorly last year, they've not given him a contract extension. Maybe they will this offseason now that all the NFL stuff's died down. But he just seems like a wild card, man. I could see Dan Mullen leaving. I can see him landing an NFL job. I don't know. I can just see a lot of things happening. Maybe if USC offered him something like that, I could, you know, he seems all in till he, till the moment he's damn gone. And I don't know. Dan Mullen's a hell of a coach. I think, uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see about that one. Number eight. I honestly didn't know where to put this guy. This guy's the ultimate wild card, but old Mike Leach. I mean, I was thinking at, you know, after the first game of the season, he's coach of the year in the SEC. By about halfway through the season, I was thinking, my God, he may not last the season. <laughs> so you just never know when old Mike Leach is going to get the wild hair up his ass and, and retire to, where does he live down there? Key West, Florida. I mean, he could be down there. I could see him, you know, taking a, a junior college job. I mean, nothing this guy would do, as weird as it would be would not stun me. So I'm putting him right there, right in the middle of the pack, number eight. I just, uh, he's an impossible to read type of guy, and and you just never know what's going to happen. 
So number seven, Lane Kiffin. Now, I'd put him a lot higher on this list if not for the fact that every job comes open. Lane Kiffin's the number one candidate. He's the new Hugh Freeze. Everybody wants to hire Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin, Lane Kiffin. He's exciting. He's got great offenses. I hope he's in Oxford for the rest of his career. Maybe he's the next Nick Saban. Hell, everybody thought Nick Saban was leaving Alabama, right? That was an annual thing until, uh, what are we, 14, 15 years down here in Tuscaloosa. Now that's finally stopped. Maybe that'll happen with Kiffin, but because I just think he's annual going to have to, as long as Ole Miss is doing well on the field, they're going to have to battle those rumors constantly. Is Lane Kiffin going to be there? And then uh, we all know, I don't think he's this way anymore, but uh, a lot of speculation. They were curbing the rules at Tennessee, so hey, maybe he's just a pro at skirting the rules wherever he's at. But uh, that you got to throw in that little caveat, too. You never know. You never know with Lane if he's going to get in trouble. All right, number six, Eli Drinkowitz. Now, here's another one. I could have put him a little bit higher on the list. Certainly don't think uh, Missouri would ever going to run this guy off. He may be their golden goose. Shane liked to call Drew Locke the Golden Goose. Eli Drinkwitz may be the real Golden Goose here, but you know the better Missouri does? That's another one. It's kind of like Kiffin. That's kind of why I put these guys side by side. They have to worry about potentially losing him. I think if he if he continues to do well, he's moved around quite a bit in his career. He's never really set roots in one place. He's just been uh, using schools as stepping stones, but maybe that was because he was waiting for his head coaching opportunity, although he did get that at Appalachian State and then turned right around and got that into Missouri. But I don't know, until he stays somewhere for an extended period of time, that's always going to be in the back of my mind. So Eli Drinkwitz got him six. Now, how about this one? This might be a little bit controversial. Number five, Kirby Smart. And the only reason I put him, you know, not at the very top of this list of most likely out last Nick Saban, because I think there's a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say Kirby on a hot seat, but I want to just say that he's on a shit ton of pressure to win in Athens. And there should be because they're dying for a championship and he's just stacking elite recruiting classes on top of elite recruiting classes. And that'll keep him there. If he does that the rest of the time, I don't I don't think they'll run him off, but they'll run him off if he has, you know, a couple eight win seasons. They did. That's what they did with Dan Mark Rick. So Kirby's got to, he's got to deliver. I mean, this is uh and I think he might. Hell, that's the team I'm touting all offseason, and I'm going to continue to do it unless things change drastically in Athens or around the SEC, and I don't think they will. So, uh, you know, pressure's on him, but, hey, he's got all the talent in the world. they got a loaded roster, but at some point they, he's got to deliver, and uh, that's why, I'd, again, not saying he's on the hot seat, but there's pressure there to deliver. That's why I got Kirby number five. All right, number four, Brian Harse at Auburn. This was a hard one to place because I don't, I didn't quite know where to rank him on here. But considering he just got there, paying him good money, you know, I gotta think he's gonna be there at least four, four, five years minimum. I would think, unless maybe he goes to the NFL, he could be one of these NFL guys too. But Brian Harse at Auburn, I think he's gonna, you know, for his. Uh, as much talk as there is of firing coaches at Auburn, they don't really do it that often. They've only made a you know, a handful of coaching hires the last couple of decades, if I'm not mistaken, outside of Gene Chizik, who obviously, yeah, he got he actually did get run off. So maybe I'm talking myself out of this one already. But Brian Harson, young enough guy. I think he's going to be at Auburn 
for quite a while. I got him number four. Number three on the list, Mark Stoops. No only danger here. If not for this, I'd probably put Mark Stoops number one because I think he's got the best contract in all of college football. I've mentioned that before. He wins, what is it? If he wins seven games, I think it is, automatically gets a contract extension. That's written into his contract. And he's already paid as a top 20 coach in the nation. So if he wins 10, which people laugh at that, but he did it a couple years ago, automatic two-year extension at Kentucky. So, man, he's sitting on a gold mine here. The only thing that could get him away from that, I mean, it's going to have to be an elite, elite job. I believe he turned down Florida State, or at least turned down interest in it or, or what have you a couple years ago. So not even a job like Florida State has really piqued his interest. Maybe if, uh, you know, Ohio State or USC or something like that, Michigan, one of those schools offered Mark Stoops, maybe he takes it. But that's the only way that I see him leaving Kentucky because they're not going to run him off. He is Kentucky football, particularly if this new offense works. Hell, they might have to give him a pay bump just to keep him there. But uh, Mark Stoops, very, very likely to outlast Nick Saban, I think, at his current position there. And number two, Jimbo Fisher. Again, a little bit the same with old Kirby there, but he does have the massive, massive contract, fully guaranteed deal. He's really got the Aggies rolling. I think Jimbo's going to be there for quite a while at College Station. It seems like he's another one where kind of the opposite of Eli Drinkwitz. He, he'll he tend to stick around for a while. So I think he'd still be at Florida State, to be honest with you, if they kept him happy with uh, you know all the facilities and and everything he wanted. You know Texas A&M is more than committed to doing all that. So I think Jimbo Fisher's in it for the long haul. Hell, he signed up for about another seven years, I think. No, maybe it's another six years fully guaranteed. He'll probably get an M extension before then, to be honest with you, too. So Jimbo Fisher, number two. So that means the only guy I've not mentioned, this is probably going to stun some people, Clark Lee Vanderbilt. Why would I put Clark Lee as the most likely to outlast Nick Saban. Well, for one, he's back at his alma mater, and they just gave Derek Mason six seasons, and they were six god-awful seasons. So if Clark Lee can match that, (laughs) he's going to have about another six seasons, minimum, Vanderbilt. And, I mean, the only way I think uh, Clark Lee is not there five, six years down the road is if he has some James Franklin-type magic in him and he turns Vanderbilt into an SEC East contender, and maybe he leaves for a better job. And I honestly don't see that happening either. So, at least not immediately, given the state of the roster and everything. So, barring a, some kind of scandal, which I don't see in his future. You know, it's hard for me to not see Clark Lee at Vanderbilt five to six years down the road. And at that point, we're talking 75, 76-year-old Nick Saban. I'm putting my dollar on Clark Lee to outlast him. All right, so a quick one here. Just wanted to give you guys some SEC content after uh, Kirby met with the media, and here we had this news at Tennessee. So hope you guys appreciated my list here, spieling about Nick Saban. Coaches most likely to outlast Nick Saban at their current schools here in the SEC. I'm sure everybody will agree with this list. But, uh, hey, that's going to do it for this one. Appreciate you guys tuning in, hanging out. Catch you on the next one.